going to take us back into worship. <laughs> I like uh, transitioning from worship better than planning. When I'm planning, I can never focus on the Lord. <laughs> it normally uh, takes me away from him when I start thinking about my dates and calendars and schedules. Um, just close your eyes. Just going to spend a, a minute or two refocusing on Jesus. Yeah, just imagine his faithfulness every moment that he's been faithful to you. The times that he's healed you from your diseases. The times where he's been a constant in the chaos. Times where he's felt so near when we felt so alone. Times where it felt like everyone else was away or forsaken us. But Father, you never did. You're so constant. You're so unchanging. You're so faithful. More faithful than the faithfulest of friends. I always set you always before us. And I pray this morning that we would be changed by your presence and we would be changed by your word. Come and speak to us and change us by those very by those very words. beautiful you are, God. You're so beautiful. Amen. I find that some of my, the times where um, I'm reading the word more of a discipline than as a, as a, then it's like bringing me life, and it's more of a discipline to sit down and read. Um, it feels different than whenever I sit down to talk to the Lord, and then He speaks to me about His Word. Does that make sense? Um, my awareness of His presence when I read His Word changes the way I read His Word, and. I just find it more impactful to just be aware, like starting your time of reading the word, like being aware that you're having a conversation with him. And it just seems like the, the word is just so much more alive. Um, so I wanted to, I've been thinking about, you know, God is just so faithful. I, I don't even know how to define faithfulness. <laughs> um, just reading some of the scriptures about him being faithful, about him taking on flesh and blood to be a faithful high priest, um, faithful in all of his words, faithful to all of his promises. Like He can't change who he is. It's like the very nature of who he is is just faithful. And I've been reading um, the book of Daniel lately, which is a good book. Um, really easy to read, except for the apocalyptic parts. <laughs> 
Sometimes you need a commentary for those. <laughs> um, but I have just been blown away by how faithful Daniel has been his whole entire life. And have you guys ever, uh, have you recently read a good biography of someone? All right, Dan, who have you, who have you read? Anyone else? Good biographies? No. I, uh, I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer recently, and that was something that was changing me as I was reading it. I know that um, Luke's read him, and Maggie was in the process of reading him. Maybe, maybe she just has the book. <laughs> um, but there's something about... I mean, who would read a story of someone's life? It sounds like it would be boring, right? But if there's a biography written about them, there's something about their life that speaks to you. And you read it, and you're just, I don't know if it's something that you're into, um, like maybe a subject that you're into, or if they're missionaries that were living out this, like, this era of great faith. And it, like, stirs in you, and you're just like, wow. It, like, stirs you to faith. It stirs you to action. Um, it stirs you to move, or it stirs your heart to try new things that you haven't tried before. But there's something stirring in their life, and normally someone else is writing it, and it's like from start to finish. It's like they were born all the way until they died. And I don't see that too much with all the different characters in the Bible, except for Daniel. I mean, it starts like in his early teenage years, all the way until he dies. And you don't have such a full picture of a lot of the Bible characters in that way. Um, you'll get like clips of this is the great act that they did. Um, I mean, I guess Moses, you got 40 years in the desert. That's a, <laughs> yeah, Moses, you got. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like this overview of Daniel's life. So I know you guys have read the book and we'll read clips from it. Um, but it starts off like, He's in, he's in Jerusalem, and in comes the Babylonians. They wipe out his family. They wipe out his town. They, they destroy the temple. Um, and it says, I'll start off with chapter 1. Um, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And then the king commanded Eshpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. 
And we remember those names because we're thinking, oh, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And it's like, those are their Babylonian names. <laughs> um, but their faithfulness. Okay, like get this picture. Your home, your family is destroyed. This king takes you into his palace. And the first thing we know about Daniel is that he was handsome. He's good looking. He's educated. He's competent. He's the cream of the crop. He is, you know, he, he doesn't have any, any defects. Like when they go and they pick out the prime youths of Jerusalem, Daniel's the one picked. And so he's probably like around 17, 18. Not yet married. Probably had hopes to. That was a big thing. You know, Jewish culture, you get married, you have children, you raise them in the way of the Lord. And that's what faithfulness looks like. You know, raise a child up in the way he should go, and in the end, they won't depart. And you're passing on your heritage, your Jewish heritage, your faith. And here's Daniel in the first thing. So we know he's good-looking. He's got all these great qualities. And the first thing they do is they make him a eunuch. They castrate him. He can't have children now. And it's a way of protecting the queen if you're going to live in the palace. So, the, so there's this guy. He's in charge of all the eunuchs. And he takes Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into his care. So if I were Daniel, I'd be pretty, and I don't know, I'd have self-esteem issues. <laughs> um, I'd probably have some bitterness against this uh, people that just captured me, took me into captivity. And I don't even know if his family's still living. And, I mean, you see Nebuchadnezzar, um, he has a dream one time, and they call Daniel in, and Daniel says, oh, I wish this, this dream was for your enemies, and he, and he tells him his dream because it's a dream about Nebuchadnezzar's future, and it was not a good one, and he says, oh, I wish this was for your enemies. I was like, man, he's saying this to the guy who probably killed his family, destroyed his town, his temple, and castrated him. <laughs> like, just think about that the next time you go to slander our government. <laughs> I mean, just, I, I'm just, I, I guess just like his heart of how did he not get so affected by what was going on around him? So he's captured, then he's taken, his name is changed. So Daniel, God is my judge. I mean, every time someone calls you by your name, you're reminded of God. You know, God is my judge. God is faithful. Um, Joshua, the Lord is salvation. Judah, praise. <laughs> And you just think of all these meanings behind the names. And when someone calls you a name, they call you that as an identity. And so one of the things the king wanted to do first off was change Daniel's identity. You're no longer going to be a worshiper of Yahweh. God's no longer your judge. I'm in charge. I'm going to name you Belshazzar, which means Bel, which is one of their gods, protects you. Imagine someone changing your name to a different god's name and then calling you that every day. And you respond to it. Belshazzar, come here. <laughs> and you have to obey it. And you know it's not true. But they're speaking it over you every day. And they're speaking lies over you every day. And, and somehow Daniel doesn't let it change him. He's being raised for three years. He's being educated. By whom? Astrologers, magicians, enchanters, Chaldean literature. So this is the group that he's a part of. Teach them the literature and language. 
Hold on. Let me see where it says that. Verse 4. Well, it just mentions the language there. Um, so uh, the end of chapter 1. This is um, one of the first things that Daniel, Daniel asked the king is that he wouldn't have to eat the pork the food sacrifice, the idols. He wouldn't have to eat the, the food that they eat because he wanted to still stay undefiled. He still wanted to be consecrated to his God. And so if you guys are familiar with that, it says, um, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So I just... I just want you to have an idea of who his peers are. Um, it makes me think of, you know, Pharaoh when Moses comes and he has his magicians do the same tricks and they throw their staffs on the ground and they turn into snakes. Like, this, this is what we're magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. Like, these are his peers. And this is the things that he's around every day, the things that he's probably being taught. So for, I don't know, the idea of us being consecrated to God and having our minds set on him, I don't know which is easier, <laughs> Babylon or here. <laughs> Sometimes we just forget that we need to be consecrated with our minds set on him, and we get lulled to sleep. So maybe it's easier when you're surrounded by a bunch of demon worshipers, <laughs> but it's probably a lot harder too. So I see this steadfastness in Daniel through his whole life. Like this, this book, it starts when he's 17 or 18. It goes all the way until he's um, 85 years old. That is a long time. So he goes through King Nebuchadnezzar. He goes through um, Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um... And Daniel gains this reputation. So he gained a reputation with Nebuchadnezzar. Now his son becomes king. And you know the story with the handwriting on the wall? If you guys haven't read Daniel, go back and read it. His, his son becomes king. He's throwing this party. This hand appears out of nowhere. It starts writing on the wall. And it's uh, the king immediately calls for all the for all of his um, enchanters and magicians to come interpret. Who can interpret this for me? And if they can interpret the handwriting on the wall, they get a royal robe and a golden chain put around their neck. And no one can do it, and the king is just confused, troubled, anxious. Um, and the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, 
And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians. Oh, chief magician. Now, that's a cool name. (laughs) Chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel who the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. I think it's fascinating that his name changed back to Daniel. And she says, your king once called him Belshazzar, but his name is Daniel. Call him. (laughs) So it's like, what is happening in the life of this guy as he's faithful to the Lord? As he sets himself apart, he consecrates him to not be defiled, by a kingdom that wants to acculturate him into his culture. And he starts getting this reputation and this respect. And there's a little bit of confusion there. He's still labeled among the magicians and the enchanters. But there's a recognition that there's something different about him. And that there's a power and a wisdom that marks him that can't be, that can't be measured in anyone else. So Daniel interprets it. He's given honor. Another guy comes and conquers Babylon. So there is a lot of history that's taken place. So now you got Darius, king of the Medes and the Persians, taken over. Daniel has lived through a lot. So this is where you get the famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. And I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 6. Just giving you guys a lot of history here. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom all these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. And these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in the connection with the law of his God. That says something, if every king lets... You live through three kings, and each one of them puts you in charge of, like, their whole kingdom. That's not just, like, one man's opinion. And when Darius sees Daniel, he recognizes in him this spirit, recognizes it's a spirit of, of perfection. He's not slack in his work. He's not like, well, I'm not really working for God. I'm not really working for the Jewish king. Like, this is some pagan king. No, like he takes his job seriously, and he's faithful in it. He's faithful in it day in, and he's faithful in it day out, and that's recognized as part of who he is in Christ and who he is in God. So much so that he's put in charge of so many other people. He's given responsibility because of his faithfulness. What happens is that the guys under him, for those who aren't familiar with 
for this story specifically, the guys under him are jealous. You know, he's one of these, the few who are put in charge, and they don't like Jews. They're Chaldeans. They want to be in charge. And so they play a trick on him, and they try to get the king to come up with a law that says, if you worship any other and pray to any other god besides the king, you get thrown into a den of lions. And um, so they're like, unless we come up with this law, there's no way we're going to be able to get Daniel to be removed from his position. Because they know that Daniel prays all the time. They know that Daniel's faithful. So they come up with this. They present it to the king. For some reason, I don't know why the king thought it was a good idea. He agreed to it. He put a stamp on it. Once he stamps it, he can't change his mind. And they just wait to catch Daniel in that act of prayer. And so this decree goes out. If you pray, you're going to get thrown into the lion's den. If you pray to anyone except the king. What does Daniel do? It says, as it was his custom, he went up to his room where he prayed three times a day, and he knelt down and he thanked the Lord. If this decree went out, I don't think I'd be entering into a time of thanksgiving. I'd probably be like, oh, God, save us. <laughs> Come up with some plan. Or, you know, try to be praying in secret and not so much in public anymore. He's not hiding. He's not changing who he is. He's not adapting to the culture or to the rules or to the laws. He's being faithful to, to who he is and what God has called him to do. And for three times a day, he prays every day. It says, as was his custom. Okay, this is, this is um, almost 70 years later. So I want you to understand how long Daniel has been in exile for. We know this because um, after he's thrown into the lion's den, you have this beautiful prayer that Daniel pay, prays where he starts talking about to God, like, have mercy on us, God. We've been in captivity 70 years. Jeremiah promised we'd be in captivity 70 years. And now that time is coming to an end. Please forgive us. Please restore us. And so we know it's been 70 years. And so I want you to get this get this grasp of what it looks like to be taken as a teenager and to have to be faithful to the Lord so much so in a pagan culture that it's 70 years later, you're still faithful. You're still kneeling three times a day at your window. You're still giving thanks every day. You're still being called by your Jewish name because you refuse to give in to any ideology of the people who captured you. You know, the king was so distraught. That also says something about Daniel. The king was so distraught that he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. It says he didn't even sleep. He didn't do anything. He just worried all night. He didn't sleep. And when he threw Daniel in, the king declared to Daniel, May your God, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions and came near the den where Daniel was. And he cried out in a tone of anguish. He's not expecting Daniel to be there anymore. And the king declared to to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the, to the lion's den instead, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, I'll stop there because we got little ears. It didn't end well for them. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I think it's something when the king can say, the God whom you serve, serve continually. And that he could say, Daniel, servant of the living God. You know, that was a Jewish term. Um, you know, Jesus said later, like, not God of the dead, but of, of the living. And this is something Daniel would have told the king. It's not something the king came up with himself. So there are some pieces that aren't included in the book of Daniel that we just kind of make inference about. Like, how did he find out about the living God? I feel like I would be intimidated to, to share my faith with the king. I don't think Daniel was intimidated by anything. You know, but maybe it's also at the beginning when he doesn't want to be defiled with food. Maybe it's faithfulness in that that allows you to be faithful in the next step. Faithful to step out and try to interpret a dream when you've never interpreted something before. And sometimes I see an act of faith. Um, I think Daniel in the lion's den is very similar to a lot of other, um, when I read other people's biographies, and there's a certain, think of like Jim Elliott, there's like this certain aspect that they're known for, and it's like, yeah, he gave his life trying to save the Aqua, the Aqua Indians, and... And they're kind of like put on a pedestal, and you forget that there's a process that everyone has to go through. They're just not born faith. They're just not born with this great faith. They're not born with extreme faithfulness. Like faithfulness is something that you grow in step by step. 
I think Daniel was faithful with every step he was given. And it got bigger and bigger. I don't know how he was feeling before he was thrown into a den of lions. But you know, it wasn't the first time he was threatened with death. You know, they were all going to be killed before. If no one could interpret the king's dream, all the magicians and enchanters were going to be killed. Uh, I mean, like, (laughs) this isn't the first time. He's had to grow in faith. So when I try to think about faithfulness, um, and I see what faithfulness for Daniel looked like over 70 years of his life, it just makes me want to, I guess, engage my own life more. And I think of Romans 12.1. Um, talks about being a living sacrifice. Therefore... Um, let me read it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I wasn't going to read verse 2, but they go hand in hand about not being conformed and also being able to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Um. You know, the thing with a, when I think of like a tithe and an offering, you know, when you guys give your money to AOX, you don't get to determine where it goes. You know, it's just like, I'm giving this to the church and the Lord will use it however he wants. And when you give, um, so that's like a tithe. And when you give an offering, you can give it to something like, oh, I'm going to give it for Malawi. And then, you know, it's going to Malawi. That's the difference between those. So when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, you don't get to pick and choose how he uses you. You don't get to pick whether you live or die. Daniel didn't get to pick. He just happened to make it out of the, Daniel, out of the lion's den. You know, when I read Hebrews 11, there's a lot of people who didn't make it. And he talk about faith. He talks about Noah. He talks about Abraham. He talks, talks about... Um, I think I said Noah, Abraham, talks about Daniel. But he also says that there are men who were tortured, killed with a sword, sawn in two. Sawn in two, why aren't their names mentioned? (laughs) You know, it's like when I want to offer myself to the Lord, I I tend to want to be something great. Like, God, here I am, use me. But, you know, what if if my name was never mentioned in the book of Hebrews? (laughs) And I offer myself as a living sacrifice. I don't pick and choose. Um, And I guess I just want to be faithful in every little thing. 
And sometimes things seem really little. I, I think I, I would esteem people more when I can see, like, oh, they've given their life for the Lord. And they're serving overseas. They're living in poverty. And they've really given themselves. And it's like, I don't know, kind of put them on a pedestal a little bit. Um, but if I've given my life to the Lord, there's no difference. If I've given my whole self and they've given their whole self and yet you're faithful to do what God has called you to do, that's faithfulness. Your name may never be written down. And some of us might feel like, um, you might even feel like you're stuck in Grove City or you're trapped in Grove City and you want to get out. You want to be called to the next big thing and God hasn't spoken anything yet. You're like, come on, God, are you going to call me? Like, <laughs> I want to get up and move. I want to go somewhere. I want to do something. And you're in this little, this little town. Um, and he's just called you to be faithful. Faithful to build a family or faithful to build a house. He still has called you to preach the gospel, share good news, and make disciples. But you don't get to you don't necessarily get to pick. You wait for him to like if he tells you to go, go. If he tells you to stay, stay. I don't think Daniel's pick would have been to be 70 years serving as chief magician. That wasn't his pick. I don't think he would have chosen to be a eunuch. Okay, I know he wouldn't have. <laughs> I can say think. That wasn't his number one choice. But he, he took what he was in, and he was faithful in the midst of it to whatever that looked like. There's no prescription for faithfulness, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's no prescription for it. You might say, oh, I wish I had a better upbringing. I wish I had a better home life. I wish I wasn't divorced. I wish my family wasn't fighting. And if they weren't, then maybe I'd be more faithful. It's like faithfulness is not determined by your situation or position. It's like you take what is handed to you and you learn to be faithful in the midst of it. Because faithfulness for 70 years, you know what it looked like? It looked like three magi showing up at the birth of Jesus. You know what magi are? Enchanters, astrologers, and magicians. And that's the name they gave to them in the East. How do they know about the coming king? If it wasn't for one teenage boy or old man that served continually and knelt down three times a day to pray and decide that he was going to be the servant of the living God his whole life wherever he was placed. And that's not something that's not wasted time. That's, this is a story we read every year. Three magi showing up. You know, and it's only speculated that it came from Daniel. But I don't see any other source. These would have been his peers that somehow knew one day a king was going to come and deliver them. And somehow, in this foreign country where they worship other gods, centuries later, there's people who have come to worship the king of the Jews.
So it's not too, thing, too small of a thing to be faithful where you're planted. Because you have no idea how God's going to use it or use you. And you don't get to decide. The offering isn't what you do. The offering is yourself. He does what he wants with it. So that's all I wanted to share. It just took a long time to get there. Because <laughs> I feel like unless you know the history of Daniel, you really can't get a glimpse of what that looks like. I think we could really be spurred into, into more when we can see other people who lived it. So I'm going to pray again. Father, we want to be faithful. I want to grow in faithfulness. I want to offer myself to you every day. I feel like sometimes I offer myself to you and then I take it back sometimes and then I offer myself to you and I take it back sometimes. I pray that I could be content to be fully yours, a bondservant, where you're in charge. I pray that my life would line up with everything that's where you're the king. My routines, my rhythms, the words that I speak, the way I do my job. Pray that we could be found faithful. <laughs>